I'm so glad to get into the book of Galatians with you today. Um, here in a moment, we'll uh, read the scripture, but we're going to pray also because I want to pray uh, for our friend Rick, who's been recovering from COVID. His wife was on the worship team today. She told me 87 days um, that he's been really battling this. Also, um, Kenny's pal, sister-in-law, Angela, we're, we're praying for her. We're praying for God to continue his miracle work. And then, then I got a message from a, a friend of mine that I had not talked to in years. She used to come to this church, and she was just so brokenhearted last night. She just said her mom, Dora, in uh, San Angelo, Texas, was put on the vent. Uh, and um, so they, she said, would your church pray for 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 my mom, and she used to go to church here years ago. Her name's Effie, but her mom, Doris, said, yeah, we'll pray for her. So um, if you're able to, I want us to stand to honor God's word, um, and, and not everyone can do that, but it's a way to remind us that scripture is special, and then um, then we'll also start out by, we're going to start out by praying for the names I mentioned, and then we'll we'll read the scripture, and at the conclusion of the reading of the scripture, uh, you are welcome to join our call and response where we say thanks be to God for his word. So let's pray. God, we um, thank you for how far you've taken Rick, but we pray that he would, would come all the way to full health and healing, all the way. And Lord, thank you for the day when he's going to come back into this room in health. And so we love Rick, and we pray for his restoration. Lord, we pray for Angela, God. Lord, let that which is mysterious become known. Wisdom to the doctors, and raise up this mom, Lord. Raise up Angela, God, and be be with her husband, Keith, as he cares for, for her. And Lord, we just pray that Angela would come back to full health. And God, we pray for Dora in St. Angelo, Texas. Lord, we ask God for healing. We ask God that you would turn things around for her and that what's been predicted will not come to pass. But Lord, we pray that your healing power would touch Dora. God, we pray for just the thousands that are suffering all over our country. We pray for an end to the COVID-19 virus. We pray that it would die in Jesus' name, not by might, not by power, not by a man or a woman, but by God's spirit, Lord, we just pray for your healing power to eradicate this virus and may it be gone in Jesus name. We pray. Amen. Galatians chapter one, starting with verse one, Paul, an apostle, not from men are by man, but by Jesus Christ and God, the father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Okay, I want you to imagine that uh, you've been a fourth grade teacher. Some of you, this has been a reality in your life, and it was a reality in my life for one day. 
I was a substitute teacher and all illusion of wanting to be a teacher in the future just left me that particular day. I, I was used to, you know, people working in youth ministry, usually students kind of like the youth pastor, but when you substitute teach, you were already hated as the day started and it just didn't work for me. None of my jokes landed. The kids didn't like me. And I struggled liking them. So I wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't called to be a teacher. So let, let's imagine that you, you were a fourth grade teacher and it was your first year. And, and like, it was a good year. And you loved those fourth graders. And you thought, this is a great start to my teaching career. The next year, the fourth graders are fifth graders. And it's about this time of year. Let's say it's October, late October. And, and you encounter some of these students that you loved and that you had a good year with. And those students begin to tell you, you know, our new teacher says that the way you taught math to us was wrong. Now, evidently, there are two ways to teach math now, I've heard. I don't get that. But, but you taught math wrong. And, and also, those English rules that you gave us in fourth grade, now that we're in fifth grade, we have different English rules. And, and history, um, we've emphasized more important things than what you emphasized in fourth grade. And then on top of that, guys, let's, let's imagine this. These fifth grade students inform you that where you went to college wasn't that good of a college. Not, not as good as our fifth grade teacher now. He or she went to a very prestigious school. You just went to some little kind of state school or online school. You're not, you're not a truly qualified teacher like the teacher we have today. I mean, now, if that would happen, that would be discouraging. Uh, that would be hurtful. And it would also be threatening to the truth. The truth about what your school is. The truth about what the content was. Well, this is, this is the atmosphere that Paul was, was dealing with when he started in the book of Philippians. Paul's first missionary journey. I know, Galatians. I'm just making sure you're listening. I did a verse-by-verse verse series in Philippians a few years ago, and it's still in my heart. So when, when, when Paul started the book of Galatians, he was, reading, he was writing to a group of churches in Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey. A lot of stuff happened in what is now modern-day Turkey. And these were the first churches that he started. And so this would, this would be churches that he was probably emotionally attached to. These were churches that he probably really thought a lot of. I mean, because your, your first class or your first group or your first job, you know, the, the, those first kids that you lead just mean something special. It's like a first fruit. It's like, th this is going to be my whole career. Well, Paul went on his first missionary journey and started these churches in Galatia, and now he's writing to them, and he's writing to them, but he's a little on edge, and here's the reason why. You know, he had taught grace, grace which we just sung about, grace that we believe in. But Judaizers, these were people that believed that, yeah, it's God's grace, plus you have to be Jewish. Yeah, it's God's grace, but you also, uh, you must follow all the Jewish law, because you're not really fully in the faith unless you do both. Now, in addition to that, these Judaizers were saying, Paul or Saul, whichever, whichever one, he, Paul was 
not really a true apostle. I mean, he wasn't really a real apostle. Because the real apostles personally knew Jesus. And that, that is true. The, 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 the original apostles were the 12, the 11 plus the 12, plus some key leaders. And they had known Jesus personally. Now, Paul knew Jesus personally on the road to Damascus. But it was kind of like, ah, is he really an apostle? I mean, did, did he or she really get their teaching degree? from a good school. Are they teaching the right thing? So Paul felt very threatened here. And this is, this is how we start this letter. And you're going to see in these first few verses today, how at the very beginning, the work of Jesus is made known and complete. In fact, if you want a title for the sermon, because, you know, preachers, we always have to have a title for a sermon or we just don't feel like it's a true sermon. And plus, we need something to put on the podcast, right? That's a title. The title is this, Jesus Gets It Done. Does that feel sacrilegious to you guys? I asked a couple of people that. I know, that's good, all right? Jesus gets it done because he's the center. He's the middle. He is the one that, that is right in the middle of our faith. And Paul, even though, you know, he's a little on edge here, he keeps pointing people back to Jesus. And so that's what he's going to do today. Here it is that... Paul's credentials are under attack. And at this point, you think, well, is he being defensive? Because now he's saying, I am Paul, I'm an apostle. Well, some letters, Paul gives his credentials, and some letters he doesn't. That's kind of like, um, you, you know, if you need to tell your title, then you use your title. Like Kenny over here. Kenny is just Kenny to me. Unless students from Beach High School are around him, and then he's Mr. Powell to me. You know, I don't call him Kenny when I'm at a ball game. I call him Mr. Powell. This is this, is this idea that Paul appeals to his label as an apostle. That's one of the reasons why we have to look at the full scope of scripture, because you can look at other scriptures. In fact, I think I've said this before, like Paul calls himself a servant. That's all. He doesn't give himself a title. Well, he did in the next two books. So we got to be careful, right? You have to interpret the Bible by the Bible. You can't interpret the Bible just by a scripture alone. You interpret the Bible by the Bible. And so, so here he is that at the very beginning He's establishing his apostleship, and then he is pointing to the fact, here's my first point today, that Jesus establishes his people. This is my first point. Is it in you version? Are we you version live today? Is anyone, can you, can you give me confirmation? Thank you, Sarah. We are on you version today. So Jesus establishes his people. Let's reread the scripture we already read out loud. Galatians chapter one, starting with verse one. Paul, an apostle, And now he's making this very clear, not from men or by man. He's saying, listen, I'm not an apostle because of my degree. I'm not an apostle because of my certificate. I'm not an apostle because of, of, uh, just a man. I'm an apostle by Jesus Christ and God, the father who raised him from the dead. This is also probably really connecting Paul's knowing of Jesus to the Damascus road. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, he appeared to Paul on the Damascus road. So here he is, is is establishing his people. And and I I want you to see uh, three categories of people here. And you're going to have to write this down because it's not in the notes 
that, that we display out here. You, first of all, you have leaders. And I, and I, want, you to, I want you to understand that God establishes leaders in the church. And, and sometimes we, um, you know, we, we, want to, we want to belittle leadership because of the priesthood of the believer. I know this is that the leadership of the church is called to serve more than anyone else. So if you're called to be a leader in the church, you're called to serve more than anyone else in the church. Leaders are not called to be served. Leaders are called to serve. But there are times when recognized leadership puts the church in order. And as Americans who have enjoyed and still enjoy the very important uh, principle of democracy and of individual liberties, these are all important principles that, that allow us to worship God. But within the church context, there's an aversion to some of us to leadership. And I just want to say, if you have an aversion to leadership, why don't you just go find a godly leader to be under? If you've been under some bozo leader and it's, it's just made you not like spiritual leadership, go find a good spiritual leader. Because I think there's more good out there than there are bad out there. And it does make me mad that uh, the goofy guys and gals ruin it for those who have a pure heart. And, you know, I talk to pastors every week, and I'm going to tell you that, that, that most pastors, I mean, I, I, they're not like corrupt people. They're, they're people who are sacrificially serving God's people. So here's this idea of, of leadership brings things into order. So we shouldn't fear leadership. We should hold leadership accountable, and we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't be resistant to question leadership. That's a healthy thing to do. And leaders shouldn't be opposed to questions. Leaders should receive questions. But there's this idea that leadership puts things in order. And so Paul's saying, hey, I'm an apostle. And you're going to see more of this if, depending on how far we go into Galatians. I'm going to see how interested you guys are in this kind of stuff. Um, actually, I'm going to follow the Lord is what I want to do. Hopefully, that's what I want to do. But uh, we'll see further in Galatians this, this thing come up again of, of him him asserting himself. And I want you to see that we we take this modern word of insecurity, and some people will say, like, well, was Paul insecure? No, he wasn't defending himself. He was defending the church is what he was doing. Because he had taught a very important principle, that is grace alone, faith alone. You don't have to be Jewish to serve Jesus. And so he had to defend his apostleship, in order to defend the church. It wasn't that Paul's power was on the line here. It was that the church and its purity was on the line here. And that's why Paul defended himself. Now we have this term here. And you saw in verse 2 where he says, uh, let's look at verse 2. He says, and to all the brothers who are with me. Now, let me just give a little commentary. For those of you who have the NIV I used to love the NIV, and I still do. It's the most popular Bible in America. The NIV actually says brothers and sisters. And as someone who, I'm a very, um, I think you know that we're very affirming. The NIV from 2011 on, I see someone like shaking their head, no. NIV 1984 doesn't say that, but the more, the NIV keeps updating itself. And so I'll say this, is that, that I'm a person who, who, want females to have all levels of leadership in the church. That's just how, that's just where we are as a church. So when the NIV 2011 says brothers and sisters, 
parts of me are like, well, yeah, that feels right and feels good. But here's the problem. That's not what the original text says. And so we can't change the original text. And so that's just one of the small examples. This is some extra credit that I'm giving you at the 9 a.m. service because you guys are like, you guys are like the seasoned Christians, 9 a.m. 1045, they're the cool service. You guys are like the seasoned Christian service, you know? All right. So um, the, this idea, brethren, is a term we're most familiar with. But the idea here is brothers and sisters are all God's people. But the original text is masculine here. And I think that that's important that we understand. We can't, we can't change the scripture um, from the original text when it's just good for us. And so that's why I like the CSB. Uh, I think it's a good uh, middle ground version going back to the original text and, the text. and that's why I usually use the CSB or the ESV. But the ESV is very serious. Very, it's, very, it's, for, it's very serious scripture. So I like the CSB a little bit. But the point is here, and here's the second category, brothers and sisters, is that Paul led within a community. A community where people's names were known and stories were known. Part of the New Testament that you probably read over quite quickly, because I do too, is when Paul or Peter or John names specific names. And we're kind of like, okay, well, What's going on here? Let me just get to the stuff that applies to my life. But what's beautiful about that is that lets us know that God's community are always brothers and sisters whose names are known and whose stories are known and whose hearts are known. We are not an audience for talented speakers. We are not a fan club for great musicians. We, we want to have, you know, skill in speaking. We want to have skill in music. But guys, you are not consumers of religious products. You are not just viewers of online church. You are a family with a name. I'm going to tell you, you have a name. And I don't care how small your church is or how big your church is. What I care about is that you're known at your church. Okay? I mean, you, there's churches of thousands of people who have these little families and communities. In fact, we, we were in, um, when we were on vacation last week, we ran into the airport with people who used to go to church with us, but they had moved. And they said, we are on vacation with our small group. They go to a quite large church right now. You can go to a church of 30 people and no one ever knows who you are, knows your story, knows your name. And you can, you're just as anonymous if you were going to a church of 20,000. So it's, it's not about size type that's right. It's about we are doing life and community together. That's why I asked you guys that are part of digital church, check in. Especially if you're on Facebook Live, check in. So we understand mitigation is an important strategy. We understand some of you are in other states but you're part of our family now. And we want to know who you are because your name matters. Your name is important. Your name makes a difference. Typically, Paul names people specifically. Here he says to the brethren or the brothers, probably 
because there were so many names of people he loved. It's like, he's not going to list them all. This happens to me all the time. If I just say, hey, thank you for uh, our Thanksgiving blessing this year. If I start naming all the people who volunteered, then we're just going to stand up here and listing names. And so we just can't do that. And I get the feeling that's what Paul was doing here. He's like, to the brothers and sisters. And But what I want you to hear today is that, guys, we're relational people. And we have to do the work and take the risk and give the effort not just to be receivers of content, but to be receivers of content who share in fellowship and light with one another. And that, that comes as simple as conversation around services like this to full participation in small group life. And then there were congregations. Here's another category. So my three categories here are leaders, brethren or brothers and sisters, and congregations. And this idea that even regionally, there were this, these distinct personalities in distinct cities and villages. Because we know this is that the gospel is never changes in truth, but always changes in context to reach certain types of people in certain neighborhoods and certain cities. And that's what God does. Let's talk about the word apostles. I've already touched on this a little bit, but apostle means sent one. Here's three things that apostles did in the first century. Apostles encountered Jesus. So we already addressed that. Apostles planted churches. And you know, they were overseers of multiple churches. And apostles, they, um, they had signs and wonders attached to their ministry. And so people got healed, delivered, set free. Like stuff happened in the spiritual realm through apostles. Do apostles still exist today? This is how I answer that. I don't believe big A apostles exist today. Like, I think that that the big A apostles are, that was a big A, by the way, in case you didn't know. Big A apostles were people who knew Jesus personally. But I think little A apostles still exist. And these are men and women of God who plant churches and who oversee churches and have signs and wonders attached to their ministry. But I will say this, is most people who call themselves an apostle mm, probably aren't apostles. It's usually people, it's usually little a apostles. It's usually like uh, humble men and women of God who like, you say, man, you have an apostle's anointing on you. And they're like, really, me? Are you serious? Yeah, you planted a bunch of churches and, and people get healed in your ministry. So that's my opinion in that matter. So Paul mentions these co-workers because part of being an apostle is a community around you. It's a community of friends and brothers and sisters who are doing God's work together. Now, greetings are real important. Um, you know, we, we don't do really good with greetings, do we? We just don't, we don't have real eloquent greetings um, here in the United States of America. How are you doing? which we're not really asking people how you're doing. And we're just saying, I don't really really have time to hear your story, but I'm going to ask you how you're doing because that's my habit. That's what I do. I had a friend of mine who a few years ago uh, was, his parent was sick and he was going to go out of state to see his parent. And he told me, he said, my brother and I haven't talked in years. So I said, well, Why? And he goes, well, we, we don't really have a bad relationship. We just don't have a good relationship. We're very different people. And he explained those differences to me. 
And he said, will you pray for me? Not only for, uh, you know, my sick parent, but just when I see my brother. So I don't know how that's going to happen. And so I did pray for that. And so I was just imagining something great happening, maybe like Jacob and Esau who met years later and, and, and said, I saw you, I saw the face of God, something just beautiful and poetic. And it didn't work out that way because when I followed up with him, I said, well, how did the story go? And he said, well, I walked into the hospital room. My brother was standing on the other side of my parent. I walked in and he looked at me and said, hey, after seven years of not seeing each other, hey. So that's how eloquent we are sometimes in our greetings. It's not very, um, I don't know, very poetic or majestic. It's just, hey. So anyway, I thought that was funny. Jesus initiates grace and peace. Here's my second point. So often I close emails, not every time, but often with the phrase grace and peace. Um, early on in my ministry, you know, I was like 22, 24 years old and was really sent into some tough situations. I had no idea what to say then, and I still have no idea what to say. You know, when you're just giving the ministry of presence and people's life lives have been turned upside down and they're in a traumatic experience and you don't want to say the wrong thing. You don't want to belittle the situation. You don't want to say something that's inappropriate. And so by reading scripture and, and I, I discovered this was a great thing to say to people. I just said, grace and peace to you, grace and peace to you. It just sums up a lot, sums up a lot. This is the way Paul greeted them in verse three. He said, grace to you, Galatians chapter one, verse three, grace to you and peace from God, the father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Start looking for that phrase in the new Testament. You'll start seeing it a lot. Grace and peace, grace and peace. And it's a good phrase for Christians to use, whether you're closing an email or whether you're at the funeral home and you don't know what to say. Grace and peace is a good way, good thing to say. When we start shaking hands again, and man, I miss that, guys. I miss that so much. Honestly, one of my favorite parts of service has always been the meet and greet time, the passing of the peace in the liturgical church, we would say. And there was one time, you never say never, that I said, we'll never eliminate that from our church services. But I didn't anticipate a global pandemic. And so we want to be caring and loving to people's health. And so we're trying to figure all that out. But when we greet one another, a good thing to say in church is grace and peace, Mike. It's not a law. I'm not saying you have to say it. I'm just saying Paul said it and others in the New Testament said it. So it's good kind of a lexicon in your lexicon to have these words when you don't have words to say. Let's talk about those words to me. The word, the Greek word for grace is the word charis. You may have heard that before, C-H-A-R-I-S. And this word was very close to a traditional greeting in the Greek world. And so it may have been a little play on words, first of all, that he took this word charis or grace that sounds a lot like a traditional greeting in the Greek world and Christianized it by saying grace. But grace means in its original context and in meaning, it means beauty. That's one of the meanings we don't talk about as much. 
It means beauty. And so it, it was as if you're saying, let all the goodness and beauty of God be yours. Don't you like that? Let grace, that which is good, that which is beautiful, that which is reflective of God, that is what is becoming, let that be in your life. Let that which is beautiful be in your life. Another meaning for grace, which those of us who have grown up in the evangelical world, we probably understand this pretty good. It's the the grace of the undeserved favor of God. And And that's an accurate and a good definition. Let God's undeserved favor be on your life. So taking this word grace, listen to this definition. I think, I think this is really cool. You could say this, may the beauty of the understanding, uh, excuse me, may the beauty of the undeserved love of God be on you so that it will make your life beautiful too. Isn't that a good definition? May the beauty of the undeserved love of God be on you so that your life may be beautiful too. So I say to you, brothers and sisters, both in digital church and campus church, grace, grace be upon you. What a beautiful word. The word peace is a powerful word in the Hebrew Jewish religion. I referenced it not too long ago. The word shalom is the Hebrew word. It's not the word that Paul used here, but it's a word that wasn't far from his mind. Because Paul, who was very skilled in the Jewish faith, knew what shalom meant. And shalom, as I mentioned recently, means everything which is God's highest good. It's a wholeness. It's a wholeness in your life. Let let your life not be fragmented. Let, Let all the shalom of God, the peace of God, be in every sector of your life. So when we read the scripture and we're trying to get through chapter 1, We might read really fast. He said, grace and peace to you. It's not just nice language. It is a declaration of God's favor on your life. It's a declaration of God putting his grace and peace on your life. And I want to tell you this, saints, believers, you're under grace and you're under peace. Your life is more beautiful and more whole and more complete because of what Jesus has done for you. I want you to imagine being stranded on an island and you've been on this one island and you're, that's the only thing you know is that island. You know the diameter of the island. You know the topography of the island. You know everything about the island and there's a whole world out there. There's a whole world out there that you've yet to discover. There's seven continents and multiple oceans and things that you know not of, this is where we are when we're in sin. When we're in sin, we're on this stranded island. And we think that Jesus wants to take us out of our sin as if he's trying to keep us from something. When Jesus is actually taking us off the isolation of sin because he wants to show us a whole world of glory that we haven't seen before. He wants to show us a whole world that we've not known up until this point. So here's my third point today. Jesus rescues us from evil. And Paul writes that clearly here in the book of Philippians. Verse four, Jesus who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. 
Now, guys, that's not talking about a time period. It's not talking about like the decade of the of the 50s, not the 1950s. I'm talking the 50s when he wrote this, like 5 You know, we're so, you know, we're so limited by the way we view time. The word age doesn't talk about time. It talks about a mindset who rescued us from this evil age according to the will of our God and Father. And one of, one of the things we have, one of the uh, understandings we have as Christians is that we live in an evil age. We did. We live in an age where evil is present. And guys, I don't have to, I hope I don't have to make that clear to you. Watch just the five o'clock news, not even the five thirty news, the Nashville five o'clock news or 10 o'clock news. And you're going to see there's evil all around us. Get the Sumner County newspapers, the Hendersonville Standard, the Gallatin News, and you'll see that there's evil all around us. One of the most alarming things you'll ever do if you haven't done it is go spend 30 minutes in general court sessions up in Gallatin, and you'll find out that evil is all around us. Guys, evil is all around us. We are living in an age of evil, and we need the rescue of the Lord. We need to get off the island of sin so not because, not because um, God's trying to take away that. It's because he's trying to show us the rest of the cosmos, <laughs> the rest of the world. We have so much more to see. But here's the problem. Let's talk about the island of sin a little bit. For those of us who are healthy, relatively healthy, and you know we're, we're aware of more diseases than ever before, but guys, we live at a time when when life expectancy is at its highest, no comparison to our forefathers. It's just crazy how much longer we get to live today. So we are healthy. And I know that you probably probably don't feel rich this morning just because I know you guys and I know that you have a lot of expenses, but you are rich and I'm rich because we have options. We have vehicles we drive. We have apartments and homes we live in. And a lot of times our biggest stresses are, well, I got to get the kids, you know, designer clothes or, you know, so that they don't feel their self-esteem isn't hurt. Or, you know, we, we've got to make a special trip or, or my kid won't be normal if we don't, if we don't travel. Th- those are kind of stresses that we often have. But we are wealthy in the sense that we have options. We even have options. Sometimes those choices, we've made poor choices and we're behind and, and, and we're, we're high income, but we're behind on our on on how we're using those resources. But here's the point I'm saying. I want, remember that island I talked to you about. I want you to imagine if that island had a resort on it, and it had a gourmet chef that cooked great meals for you, and it had you know a good climate, and it had a pool with a great view, and it had a one of those little um, huts that you can go by and get a fruit drink whenever you wanted to. And you're able to get a massage whenever you wanted to. And that's the whole, that's the only world you knew. That's the only world you knew. And, and God's saying, there's much more. There's, there's snow-capped mountains and there's the Grand Canyon and there's, there's just more, there, there's, there's trips to Mars in our future in the next 50 years. But you're so comfortable on that island, you're like, I don't want the rescue yet. Hey, Jesus, thank you for your rescue. Can you just delay till after I 
have my smoothie and get my massage. Jesus, will you just delay before I have my other gourmet meal? Guys, this is where we are as suburban people. Guys, this is where we are. We, we, I'm not belittling what you're struggling with today because I know you're struggling, but some of you are struggling with specific things. But the, the big, looking at our big um, view of who we are as people, we are people with wealth and options. We're mobile people. Even when we're in a global pandemic, we're all taking trips and doing stuff and we're doing what we want, how we want it, when we want to. We're, we are we had the longest life expectancy of anyone that's ever lived before. And life is pretty good on this island. It's pretty good on this island. But Jesus has more. Jesus has more. And one of the great battles that we're facing right now is that people don't realize how much their soul needs rescue from worldliness. Because we love the world. We love the world. Guys, we love the world so much that, that it's being proven right now statistically and what's happening to the American church. I'm not talking about people who are mitigating. That's one thing because I want you to mitigate. But I'm talking about people who are going everywhere else except to the house of the Lord. And it's, 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 a proof, it's proof of where our hearts are. And we're comfortable on the island. And I want to tell you, it's the poor. It's the immigrants. It's the illegals. It's the people who don't know if they're going to have a job next week, that they're at prayer meeting and they're seeking the Lord and they're after the presence of God. It's, it's the people who, who don't know where their last breath is going to come from because they, they are dealing with health crisis and they're crying out to God with desperation. But when we're healthy and when we have money in the bank and we have places to go and we have entertainment to avail ourselves to, we don't need the rescue from the Lord. Discipline and maturity says in the land of prosperity, in the place of comfort, in the place of enjoyment, I still need Jesus to rescue me. Rescue is not a one-time event. Rescue is a position that I'm under in submission to the will and the way of the Lord. All right, here's the last thing I'm going to say today. Remember when social media started, we didn't know how to use it. It's not like we know how to use it now, right? But we sure didn't know how to use it. So it would say like, uh, uh, whatever, um, MySpace would say, you know, Sarah is, you know, Sarah is washing her dishes, you know, Facebook, you know, would, would be, you know, less is at the Vanderbilt game. And so we'd say stuff like that. So I remember early on that, um, one of my friends, said, you know, Joe Smith will say that. Joe is in Gatlinburg. And then he went on to say, with my wife, just, no, said, I'm in Gatlinburg for three days. With my wife, just walked downtown and bought a piece of fudge. I remember thinking, what else is there to do in Gatlinburg after you've done that, man? (laughs) You walk downtown to buy a piece of fudge and now you got three days ahead of you to do nothing else. That's what Gatlinburg is. So if you haven't been to Gatlinburg yet, you know, you go to these fudge places. They're like every other address you go to, you know, and they have every flavor of fudge you can imagine. You're like, yeah, I want, th- I want a sample of that. And yeah, I don't know what vanilla tastes like. Give me a sample of that. I don't know what caramel tastes like. Give me a sample of that. Yeah, whatever. But then you finally have to pick a sample and they put this big old, this big slab of fudge and they weigh it. 
And however much it weighs gives its value. However much it weighs gives its worth. Here's the last scripture I want to share with you. Galatians chapter 1 verse 5. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So we say the word glory a lot. And it feels right. It feels good. It's a good word to say. But this is what the word glory means. The word glory means a weight, a heaviness. And it's as if you put something on the scales, probably gold, not fudge. And the weight gives it the worth. The weight is the worth of it. So when we say, Jesus, glory to your name, glory to Jesus in the highest, we're saying, Jesus is valuable. Jesus is heavy. Jesus, when he's on the scales, measures a lot because he has great worth. So here's my fourth and final point today. Jesus is eternally glorified in these works. So the three things that I've already said today, Jesus gets the glory. Jesus gets the glory for accumulating his people. Jesus gets the glory for initiating grace and peace. Jesus gets the glory for rescuing us from evil. In the end, Jesus gets the glory because there is a heavy weight on Jesus. He has been measured and he is valuable and he is valuable to us. And there's a word that we don't, we use, we don't talk a lot about. And it's the word, amen. And the word, amen is be sure of it. This is firm. It's not unstable. It is firm. Jesus who gives grace and peace to you. Jesus is worthy of glory. Amen. And amen to that. So I want to read the whole scripture to you and then we'll, we'll close the scripture. Now that we've talked about this, I want you to hear this. Paul, an apostle, not from men or by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And to all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you, peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. How many can say amen to that? All right, let's stand together. Let's stand together. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the richness of your word. Thank you for the depths of your word. Thank you, God, for the heaviness of your word, the heaviness of your glory. How many know that God is not something that's in, he is not a force that's invaluable. He's a person with glory. God is a personality with great glory upon him. God has a name. I want you to know that just as you have a name, God has a name. That's why names are important. God has a a specific name. It's not a conjured up name that is just different in any culture, different in any religious expression, different in any region of the world. No, it's a, a specific name. His name is Yahweh. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's a God who's revealed himself 
through the Torah. He's revealed himself through the prophets. And then he has, he has brought himself to the pinnacle through Jesus Christ, his son. And his work on the cross and his work on his resurrection. And now we are his church. We are the brethren. We are the brothers and sisters. We are the people who are called under leadership into community, into the shalom of God, the peace of God, into the charis of God, the grace of God. We are called to be people of rescue, that we are not looking to establish ourselves at this home because we have another home. We have another place. We have another destiny. We are not limited to 90 years, 100 years. Maybe you're lucky enough to get 110 years. That's not your life because after your last breath on this earth, your life with Christ has just begun. There's an eternal weight, an eternal glory that is far greater than anything we can conceptualize in this life. The glory of God, the heaviness of God, the worth of God is greater than anything you can enjoy in this life. And that's why we're here to worship. He is worthy and he is worthy to be praised. And we thank you, Lord, for that. So I want us to uh, have a time of response. And what I'm going to do today is I'm going to lead us in our prayer of confession. And then I'm going to give our benediction. And then Pastor Aubrey will continue to lead worship. And you can take communion. You can seek God. You can come to the altars. You can stay at your seat. I know some of you may need to go. And we do have another service coming up. So we have to be aware of that. It starts in 25 minutes. But you can stay for the next service if you want to. But we now take this biblical prayer, this prayer based in Scripture and based in the creeds of the church. And we use this as a way to place ourselves under the submission to the Lord. We're submitted to the Lord. And if you choose to, would you pray this with me? Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, set up your kingdom in our midst. Lord Jesus Christ, son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Holy Spirit, breath of the living God, renew me and all of the world. So, Father, we thank you, Lord, as we have submitted to you, confessed our sins to you. Lord, we thank you. We, for those who are taking communion this morning, we dedicate these elements to you, the bread and the cup for your glory. If you're visiting with us when you came in, both in the lobby or even at the back, there are some little communion packets, and we have consecrated those to the Lord under this prayer. And if you want to take communion, feel free to do so this morning. I'm going to give our benediction at this time, but Pastor Aubrey is going to continue to lead us in worship. I just encourage you to respond to this teaching as you can, if you can, and when your heart's ready, uh, you can depart. God bless you today. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace through Christ Jesus, our Lord, we pray.